We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 7. Paul is now having his own Q&A session. They have written to him their questions, and so I borrowed his method, Q&A. And so he says, now about the matters you wrote about. What did early Christians in a pagan city with no morals have questions about? Guess what? Sex, marriage, morals. Watch. Now for the matters you wrote about. It is good for a man not to marry. Horrendous translation. That is not at all what he said. It is good for a man not to have sex with a woman. And the NIV puts the margin for you. He's saying, basically, it's good for you not to be sexually active outside of marriage. That's what he's saying. Then he says, but since there is so much sex outside of marriage, immorality, each man should have his own wife. Now, I'm glad he said that. He didn't say each man should have his harem. One per customer. Okay. Uh, And each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marriage duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. For most husbands, it's one of their easiest duties. But you'll be amazed uh, as we go along what happens. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, celibacy, uh, to live without sexual relations. Another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And of course, there's great debate over whether Paul was ever married, if he was a widower himself. And I'm not sure we have a conclusive answer to that. Uh, But let us look at, uh, and you have these notes, uh, on God's design for sex in marriage. He certainly prohibits sex outside of marriage. And this is nothing new. Uh, Judaism, Christianity, and 600 AD Islam, all three great religions of the world said sex is only to be done in the context of marriage to have God's blessing on it. So uh, God has been clear about that. So let's just say something about sex is for marriage. Here's the bigger issue. Sexual revolution, 1960s. There are, you don't need a piece of paper to have sex. My generation, their big contribution to world history is burn your bra and forget about morals. That was the 60s battle cry. Uh, And when you graduate from high school in 63, you grew up with that kind of stuff in the world. But 
the biblical uh, definition of marriage is before they were even married to Adam and Eve, he said, this is what will constitute marriage, a leaving, a cleaving, a becoming one flesh. Now, leaving was a very formal thing. Sometimes a village would go to another village where there had been a betrothed marriage. Uh, other words, it was a very public affair to know that my daughter is going here. This man has paid the dowry. I'm releasing my daughter to this relationship, and I'm publicly declaring she can sleep with this guy because under the law, they could stone her if she wasn't a virgin. They had to produce proof on the wedding night that she was a virgin. Very blunt as you read Leviticus and Deuteronomy. They weren't kidding about chastity. You didn't have to pay the dowry price and the marriage was null and void if she hadn't kept herself. So it was a very public uh, scrutinizing. Matter of fact, all the guests hung out while you consummated the marriage. They wanted to be sure you left, you cleaved, you consummated the marriage, and all is well and in order, very public. No two ways about it. So that God wants in marriage some public declaration that I'm leaving my parents, hopefully with their blessing. And this was unheard of in the Old Testament that you could leave without it. You left with their blessing There's a formal recognition. So in our day, we have what we call love, courtship, marriage, or you just shack up. Let me say something. What's so dangerous about the moral field that our young people live in today, there's absolutely no Bible for how to date. They never date it in the Bible. Meditate on that. They didn't do dating. Uh, he, you know, Isaac gets Rebecca. She comes. She sees him. They go on the tent. They consummate the marriage. That was the dating. Isn't that amazing? But, of course, th- th- they get divorces all the time. No, they don't. What is fraught with danger is the Western way of courting a girl. Uh, I don't see how you can prevent immorality when you're hanging out with each other 30 hours a week. It's really tough. And so you don't have guidelines on uh, make out for two hours and flee immorality. They just don't seem to go together. I I don't know. And so we've got a lot of things that load up the baggage for moral failure in our culture. But the biblical a place for sex, God says, is marriage. Now, let me just say something. Marriage keeps us from having illegitimacy. And God is concerned that in the power of marriage is the power to beget life. And God has put fences around not just your sexual pleasure, but the propagation What is born to this union must have protection. And what has been taken away with our moral revolution is nobody there to protect the offspring. Because I don't know who my dad is, and I don't know who my mom's sleeping with now, but nobody cares to take care of me. I'm an intrusion to the love fest. But God didn't want that 
because it's very important in his agenda that children are protected in a loving union. So the place for sex to take place is after a public declaration that we're going to be husband and wife, and it's not just a piece of paper. If you want to do as the Africans and jump over a stick, that's all right. That's a public declaration. Just go public. You don't just move in with. There's a public declaration of our affection and of our commitment. And according to Proverbs, they made a covenant. And he warns about adultery in Proverbs 2. He says, don't forsake the friend of your youth nor the wife of your covenant. You make covenant. It's very important. And today, what's the issue? I want sex. Better put out, baby. I'm going on. Do you want a commitment? Are you committing? You're crazy. You need to be committed. I want a relationship without commitment so that it may go deeper and broader and wider. No, you coward. She better not get sick. She better not get pregnant. And all of these contingencies that happen in young people that are having sex, don't get pregnant on me. I'll drive you to an abortion clinic. Don't get pregnant on me. I don't want a gal losing her figure. Nothing about commitment. It's impulsive lust that brings no. Love always brings commitment to the object it loves. You don't love, biblically, if you won't sacrifice. So you make a commitment. Go on. The purpose for sex in marriage. Uh, Three things. He says right in the verse here, uh, to prevent the ongoing immorality, since you're already sexually active and and you're burning, uh, get married. Get married. He tells them that. Very practical. And so that uh, one of the great uh, provisions, that ought to be 7, 1 through 3, not 13, uh, is that marriage gives a place to take the burn. What happens? Why have you burned out so quick? And that's what we deal with people that says, I'm married now, but as I read this article here, uh, marriage is called, we're not in the mood. Uh, Newsweek article, uh, this is a June 30th, 2003, and I could not find the other article that's on dual income, no kids. We're used to that. But guess what? The other article that we couldn't find, dual income, no sex. Couples that are in their 20s that may show up once a time, once a month for sexual expression because they're so burnt up making the living and both on a job that fatigue is actually killing one of the things you thought you would get in marriage. Great problem. And this is, we're not in the mood. It's a great article saying after... uh, putting the kids down at night, doing the dishes, uh, and uh, reading three bedtime stories and helping one kid with math. You know what? I just don't feel in the mood. Why? Because of the pace we're living at. And so the first thing is he wants to prevent immorality, but then something I think we forget uh, is, uh, and I don't know, uh, I messed up I want that to be Genesis 1. Has the mandate to procreate ever ceased? And it is so common today uh, to not want children. 
It's very common. And uh, one of the purposes God gave for sex, he wants to keep the race going. And if you read statistics about what's going on in America, if it was not for immigration and for the Latino population having the most children at this time and others, Anglos are way down. We're about at at maybe at 2.2, which they say you can't repopulate the country at that rate. Uh, You die off quicker. Japan, you know, we limit how many children you can have. China. Well, guess what? They're finding the system's caving in because we don't have anyone to pay Social Security benefits to all these people because all the young people, they've diminished. Uh, I would say to you young people, uh, from a biblical point of view and just my opinion, uh, you ought to think about uh, children. You ought ought to think about that. It was one of the purposes, and uh, all the green peace movement and save whales and abort at the same time. That's a double message. The same people normally that are wanting to save whales would say you ought to abort a child. Right? Am I off my rocker here? Uh, That says, wait, because the earth can't sustain another child. Oh, yes, it can. Yes, it can. Uh, it, it, you know, uh, my, my folks were great in defa- They were great in family planning. Uh, my dad looked at my mom; she'd be pregnant. <laughs> and they say, "Well, uh, how did you plan for this? We, well, we just bought more beans and peeled more potatoes. It's really, you know, we didn't worry about the college fund. We didn't care about all that other stuff. Uh, we'll make to do. We're already broke." And my dad's great line is, a poor man's riches were his children, not his bank accounts. And what would you rather have? Money, and that is what our young people are saying. I'd rather have money and four vacations a year. Okay, when you get old and ugly, it'd be nice if somebody would sit on your lap and bite your knee and say, I'm your grandson. Uh, One of the biblical parts, and I think you need to wrestle that through. Nobody's going to tell you this, but an old man uh, is procreation. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a gift. And uh, we need to start shouting that they are a gift, especially when you get them raised. (laughs) Moving right on. Uh, The third uh, purpose for measure, uh, and and here, see, the, the Roman Catholic view has been procreation strong. You must, uh, the Protestant view has been pleasure. And, but some way, Martin Luther managed to have six children. So they, some way his Catholicism came over to, because he married when he was about 42. And Catherine gave him six children. Uh, but pleasure, and this is something that has been frowned upon. And we think, can this be? And when you look at Proverbs 5, how do you interpret this verse? Turn there. Proverbs 5, I, I won't read Song of Solomon, just be too, too outrageous here. You don't know what it means anyway, so it won't bother you. Uh, like uh, uh, he says in Proverbs five fifteen, drink water from your own cistern. Uh, now this is uh, wisdom literature and this is poetic. The cistern here is his wife. Running water from your own well. 
Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, this could be your seed, your offspring. Uh, It could be even your wife. Should she be out on the street? Uh, Should she be sharing her love with others? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. Let this spring, this married love, this wife of yours, be yours alone. May your fountain be blessed. And the interchange, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, and a loving doe is a beautiful, beautiful animal, creature. A graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. And the word is exhilarated or to stand out of oneself. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? He's saying, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Let her be the source, the drink that quenches your thirst. And, and he wasn't thinking of the country song, rather drink muddy water and sleep in a hollow log than to live with Thelma and be treated like a dirty dog. He wasn't talking about that kind of drink. He's talking about uh, this is a place to have your thirst quenched. Go there. Let that one spring I often have said to my wife, you're the only source of clean water I have when it comes to passion and love. All other wells are contaminated for me. So please give me a drink. (laughs) And all the men said, yes. Uh, All other water's muddy. All other water... No need to show me People magazine and the best-looking women. All those chicks are dirty water for me. I got one fountain, one fountain, and that's married love. And to be exhilarated, enjoy the wife of your youth. So Scripture, and then when you read Song of Solomon, this love going on between this shepherd girl and this shepherd and this uh, wonderful thing that's happening between them, uh, God celebrates he created marriage and sex in marriage to be enjoyable, to be one of the great pleasures of life. Ecclesiastes says it's a rich man and a poor man's feast to have a wonderful wife. So what a, what a treat God's given us uh, in marriage. Well, uh, now let's go and look at the perils of sex in marriage that I think the text draws out. Uh, Verse 3, the husband should fulfill his marital duty, and the word is obligation. It was used of a debt. Uh, The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. Uh, Wow. What happens to sex in marriage? Uh, It goes a little bit like this. Let me read to you. The seven ages of a married cold. In the first year, the wife gets sick. And she hears this, sugar dumpling, I'm worried about my baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle. I'm putting you in the hospital for a general checkup and a good rest. 
I know the food's lousy, but I'll bring your meals from Rosini's. I've already got it arranged. Second year. Listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough, and I've called Doc Miller to rush over here. Now, you go to bed like a good girl, please, just for Papa. Third year. Maybe you better lie down, honey. Nothing like a little rest when you feel pump. I'll bring you something to eat. Have we got any soup? Fourth year, look, dear, be sensible. After you feed the kids and get the dishes washed, you'd better hit the sack. Fifth year, why don't you get yourself a couple of aspirin? Sixth year, if you just gargle or something instead of sitting around barking like a seal. Seventh year, for Pete's sake, stop sneezing. What you trying to do? Give me pneumonia? Uh, It has a way of declining. And what starts out in a fever becomes an iceberg. You got married in a fever and you caught pneumonia. Because there's a whole lot more talk about what's going on in our bedrooms than what's going on. That's why there's so much pornography. That's why there's so much unfaithfulness and a lot of other things because... Even the marriage bed that's blessed of God is often being neglected and not even showing up. And so we just lift out some of the things here. What happens in marriage? Unpaid obligations. He said in verse 3, the husband should fulfill his duty to his wife. And you can ask my wife. That's one debt I've always been glad to pay. <laughs> PG&E's hard. This, all right, honey, I, I, I'm in debt. You've got me. But I've more than once had to say, she she owes me. And so you get this in marriage that we both have different energies. Uh, Men's sex drive, they say, is four to one when you first get married. Uh, Women weren't made as a whole to keep up with a man's sex drive, not in his youth. Uh, So you have that tension different thirst levels. Then you go to verse 4, who has authority over my body? And he says here, the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but to her husband. And in the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but to his wife. You know what? That's a threatening little verse. If you're totally independent, liberated, nobody's telling me what to do. That all of a sudden, God tells the church here, By the way, you married folks, he has rights over your body, and she has rights over your body. And, I mean, that tension, who has authority? I mean, I I don't want anyone messing with my body. I mean, we all want space. Uh, Do you ever have people come up and talk to you, and they get in your space, and they have bad breath? You say, good night. I mean... I don't want to meet the plague. Stay right there. Uh, but then you get married, and you start sharing a bedroom, and, and you keep leaving your underwear here. And, and she's a neat freak, and you haven't been clean since you were born. And, and I mean, that's what, it's shared space, isn't it? Uh, everybody keeps house different. Uh, And you folks that don't like to be clean and neat, just pray God doesn't give you a neat freak. 
I mean, there's going to be a lot of tension just over that. Pray that you'll both be sloppy. Pray you'll both be neat, whatever. But the authority issues over the body, uh, honey, in the realm of conjugal relationships, I'm in need and I have a right to knock on the door. You're the only water I could drink. You're available, aren't you? No, uh, I, I don't. You'll have to wait. I'm going to be with the girls tonight. What's really tougher, and this isn't a fair, we'll get to it later. And I think she gets blamed when she says, the three kids you gave me need their baths. And if the man's not fair and mature, you're depriving me. No, I'm not depriving you. I got to take care of the last session we had. I'm raising the passion pit right over here. And you've got to cut me some space here. They're yours too, right? So you've got that tension. And then you go down to uh, beware of satanic interference. Stop depriving each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Men, I greatly enjoy uh, prayer, and I encourage you to do it. It really helps your love life. Carolyn's always scared if I stay downstairs too long. Prayer, you know what? It does, and I'll tell you why. Prayer, you ought to get all the junk out of your heart. And if you get the junk out of your heart before God, you don't drag it into the bedroom. It's hard to make love in a bed with a lot of baggage. And I really do believe that. But he says, you, you just, you get something in your heart and you say, only for a spiritual reason, for prayer, which I don't think should be 30 days. But he says, you, you hold off for that. But he says, don't abstain too long. How come? There may be satanic interference over a very physical, strong passion thing because of your lack of self-control. It's an amazing. We talk about satanic attack. Satan can see the love-starved marriage and makes you very vulnerable to be unfaithful, to go to other sources for sexual stimulation. It says, be sure you're drinking from the fountain And the thirst is quenched lest you give the devil an opportunity to bring his agenda. He says that. And when there's not an ongoing conjugal privilege and openness and accessibility to your mate, when that's not going, Satan will get involved in your marriage. And you don't need the devil in your marriage. You and your husband are enough. (laughs) Keep the devil out of your bedroom. And I'll tell you what I think feeds that. When you have this problem, there's two places where he says you invite the devil. Look at Ephesians 4. Turn to Ephesians 4. And I see these go hand in hand. In Ephesians 4, uh, telling these believers how to live as believers. And he says in verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Okay. Get angry, but don't hit anybody. Don't cuss. 
Don't do something. You might get angry, but don't destroy anything. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Well, I'm mad at him. I'm mad at her. I'm going to bed. There won't be any sex tonight. You can count on it. I'm ticked. Okay, you're ticked. And you're going to bed on an unresolved problem, right? You better believe it. It's going to take me a week to cool off. Okay, but guess who's not on vacation? Watch, what does it say? And do not give the devil a foothold. Come on, do you see it, don't you? I mean, wrestling, you're wrestling fiends here. I mean, the foot's back. You mean the devil's got me and my wife in a foothold? Yeah, that's what he said. Whoever it is. When you go to bed with unresolved conflict and you're still in a state of anger, and you haven't resolved whoever you're angry with as much as possible. He said, Satan gets a foothold, and let's see how this plays out practically. Uh, you're in the front room, and uh, she spent more money than your budget allowed. Let's blame her. And uh, so, so you're having a, a spat over finances. And that's a common battleground in a marriage, finances, especially in those early years. Uh, I never gave my wife any money in the early years. I don't know how she bought holes because I'd budget everything so close that uh, I never gave her an allowance. I was wrong. I didn't even think about it. I, I really didn't. But uh, it, it was so, I don't know where she, anything she did. Christmas was horrendous for us because we knew we'd have to charge and we'd have to pay till April to get it out. We didn't have a Christmas club. What's a Christmas club? That's planning. So finances was tough, and there'd be misunderstandings for sure. But then you can have your spat here, let's say in the front room, and we're doing that. If there's not resolution and a, um, what, what could we say, a calm, amiable way to finally lay the issue on the table and leave it there, you wind up dragging it over here, and you drag it to bed with you. And so now, you're not just sleeping with your husband and wife. You're sleeping with a credit card that you've charged too much on, and you both are at odds. And so we go to bed and and all of a sudden, and it's usually the men because they can love in the midst of anything. And all of a sudden, he says, baby, I'm in the mood for love. She says, you see that? I'm not in the mood. I am ticked for being chewed out for spending $25 over our budget. Well, honey, I'll forgive you now until I make love, then I'll start the argument again. Because you're carrying over a spat issue to the bedroom and you're ruining your bedroom life. Doesn't that happen all the time? And so the devil is mastering, keep you angry at one another over some little two-bit issue. Then you come over here, and one of you may be really thirsty. You may both be just really uh, ready for uh, passionate love. You're you're ready. But a wedge has come between you. I used to say there's been nights I've slept in my bed. I would swear to you the Berlin Wall had been built right between us. And, and I'd be laying there, and I said, her foot had better not even touch mine. <laughs> Do not even get a little toe over. No, 
the lines there. And in, in those early days, it'd be, she'd be on the side hugging it. I was tempted to just put my foot, but I didn't. And it'd be this kind of a little sniffling, you know, because she would be upset. I'd be over here, oh, don't use tears on me. God help me to preach in the morning in the power of the Spirit. And I said, God, I know the verse. I know the verse. I know it in the Greek, the Oki, and everything else. I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And I have to say, I didn't have to. If I want to get, first of all, I want to get along with the Lord. And she's always said that. You're afraid of the Lord more than me. I said, well, I am. And finally, we had to decide whether we're going to settle it or not. But you, there's many a couple, the Berlin walls right down the middle of their bed. Both emotionally. You know what? It's hard to get naked with somebody physically that you can't be naked with emotionally. I can't tell you my feelings, my foibles, my struggles. I can't entrust to you my deepest heart concerns without being chewed out, not heard, invalidated, and you want me to get naked with you. It starts with my emotions. Starts with my heart. The body follows. But it's hard to make my body do something that my heart is a thousand miles removed from. Amen? All of us who have weathered years of marriage said, yes, amen. And if you're self-righteous, you'll have a fight today just to prove the point. Uh, Then I think understanding a weaker vessel... And I'm talking, of course, Peter's line to the husband. Uh, learn to live with your wife in an understanding way. And uh, Rich has talked uh, at times and, and picked on us men that we don't get out of puberty till about age 30, 35. And what that is, is not the physical part. It's our emotional growing up, our uh, uh, understanding this woman, that the woman is to be treated with respect and honor. I've ordered, uh, I, I didn't have it today, but I've ordered 75 copies for next week. It'll come in late uh, on Dobson's book on what every wife wished her husband knew about women. It, I read it again. It's a great book. And, and these are the, uh, I wrote down his chapter titles. Uh, these are the t- uh, things he deals with, writing to us men, mom, domestic engineer, sources of depression in women. Women deal with a lot more depression as a whole than men. Postpartum, PMS, uh, you you know, post-MMS, premenopausal, during menopausal, (laughs) postmenopausal, pausal. Uh, uh, you know, there's all, there's all kinds of things uh, out there because they're a biological chemistry factory, you know. And we're over here, duh. You know, we don't know what's going on physiologically. But uh, women have battled with depression. And you know what the number one cause uh, in his survey was? That the greatest cause of depression in women, James Dobson, not me, says it was low self-esteem. Is that not amazing? To get married? Let's, let's take you, uh, uh, I think of Jenny's here today. Got her master's in education, 
uh, now has three children. And, and so you lay your education and career track aside, and, and you get over here. And I've got a daughter that did the same kind of thing. And when I visit her, I'm in depression. Because she's got a little boy that is, he never sleeps. He's crawling. He, he's there. And, and I, I offered ether. I've offered them uh, uh, Valium. Uh, everything we use with our kids. I got a formula that works. And, and, I mean, he's going. I, there's not a moment to stop. It's the only two. The little girl is up about eight. She, she's fine, but little Nathan, go, go, go. And I watch them. I watch my daughters. I, I just wore out, and I just pray before I visit, and, and I wear football pads and, and things. To, I, I'm glad to see you, kids. Oh, get away. You, you know, it, it's something to say I'm going to pour my life into diapers, bottles, potty training, uh, wiping noses, uh, cleaning up messes, and I'll leave what I was educated to do here for a while. If you don't think that's a sacrifice and a dedication, we, don't, we better start appreciating these women more than ever. I want to tell you, you might run a company, can you run with my grandchildren? There's two different challenges. And we've underrated the woman because anybody can raise kids. Who's raising them? we got to pay her some. Honey, what can you make an hour? I'll say, well, I'll make an hour. I'll do my best to keep our boy from going to prison because I'm going to be there when he gets home, and I'm going to make cookies for him, and I'm going to drive him around, and I'm going to let him never doubt that you and I love him, and we're there for him. We're not married to a job. We're married to raising the kids we hopefully conceived either in love or in lust, but one way or the other, they're ours. So, uh, when you come to this understanding the weaker vessel, these are the things he mentions. Fatigue and time pressure. Uh, none of you mothers here ever drove your kids around to games, did you? Uh, school. Did you know what? We had kids in school uh, over Mona Creek. I said, I'd never do it. Never say never. We did it. Uh, driving around was in carpools that I still, it's, it's the providence of God that no one was killed in those carpools, uh, especially with Steve Mall. Um, the way he drove, good night. Uh, you had equipment in the back flying all over and kids, ah! And it's just, ah, you get over it, put a little salve on it. Uh, uh, loneliness, isolation, and boredom. I've heard women say this, that they shop so much because they're lonely. Man, guys, if we get busy to end that, look at the money we could save. I mean, come up with something. And I've had guys, I go to Costco because there's people in the room. What? People in the room? Yeah. You stay trapped all day with two kids and uh, all they do is cry, burp, and mess their uh, pants. And, and they're about three years old and I haven't said any word with over two syllables in a year. I want to be around people. So, and, but now all of this, and, and I've got that book coming. Then if you put all of this on a woman, that's just true, sexual problems, financial difficulty, menstrual and physiological problems. These are the chapter titles, problems with the children. Uh, you got all of that going on. And then, well, you, you, you don't grab me like you did when we courted. 
You're just not as pretty. You just don't look as fresh. Matter of fact, what's that fragrance? Is that Chanel? No, that's Johnny number two. That's what that is. Well, 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 you need to prepare yourself better. I want to prepare you. You're going to see my back and not my front. And so you get this animosity, not being understood, not being appreciated. And I think men have come a long ways in our culture in helping their wives in home duties. My generation, and I escaped every bit. I I changed two diapers, and then I usually call for help. Uh, but a lot of men do much better at this. I've seen it in my own uh, son-in-laws. They, they change diapers like that. It's great. Well, fantasy versus reality. Uh, you have all these dreams of what marriage is going to be about. And then you get there, and there's sickness, there's finances, there's day in and day out living. And, and nobody, uh, everything Hollywood has to give us is one-night stands, quick flings, uh, knockout uh, material. Everybody's in shape, everybody's tanned, and everybody's acting out fantasy. That's not the way life goes. And so you get married with this concept, and what you started out with... Uh, Stars in your eyes winds up being sand in your eyes. So what doesn't happen? Um, I think health issues, babies. Babies shouldn't change a woman. Are you kidding? You know, I, I always wish my mother didn't weigh so much. She weighed 200 pounds, about 5'2", five, 5'3". Five, but she lived a poor man's diet, had seven children. And after the seventh child, she just seemed to have lost her figure. How dare she do that? Why didn't she get a gym membership living in government housing? You know, you need a club. You need a health club when you're living down in the Richmond projects. Are you kidding? We were hoping we'd eat that week. The way we measured, the way us kids measured the prosperity of my parents was Friday night when they bought groceries. As long as there was food, we had a 403B, we had a 401K, and we weren't concerned about college. We were concerned about what are we going to have for dinner. None of you grew up that way because you're all spoiled. That's the way we measured prosperity. There's something to eat tonight. Well, let's go through these seven things, and then we'll let you go. Sex within marriage is holy and good. And the church said? Good. If I hear a silent section, I'm going to look at you. God encourages us to have sexual relations and warns against their cessation. Amen? And because it can end, why are you not? Now, if there's physical problems, that's, that's understandable. Biological reasons. But if it's, it's volitional, I, I just I'm say, I got used to saying no, I'm not available. It, it shouts that the other's need determines the event unless there's physical and, and, and you know, those kinds of things out of control. Uh, I'm pregnant, I'm, I'm in sick, whatever. There must be that considering the vessel. Third, pleasure in sexual relations is not sinful but assumed. The bodies of each party belong to each other 
for mutual pleasure. And I think if that's the goal for our sex life is the other's pleasure and not my own. That, that takes selfishness out of it. And, and what makes wonderful uh, conjugal relationships is mutual respect and the mutual desire to bring pleasure. So uh, no one is being forced. Nobody's being uh, maritally raped. This is a mutual consent, mutual desire. Uh, fourthly, sexual pleasure is to be regulated by the principle that one's sexuality is not to be self-oriented, but other-oriented. Sexual relations are to be regular and continuous. Martin Luther said twice a week or 104 times a year. I'll just leave that, but I just read that. No wonder we had the Reformation. Uh, getting an Augustinian monk at 42, he said, you know, twice, twice a week ought to keep the devil away. Boy, I about fell over. But I'll give you the source if you're wanting the life's verse. Um, the idea is that each partner is to find satisfaction in each other and that burning with passion is quenched. We don't want to be married and be sexually frustrated. That should be quenched at the well of married love. Sex in marriage is a mutual right. Sex should not be a bargaining tool. Uh, uh, we can make love tonight if you'll buy me a new dress. You know, that's just not right. Neither party has the right to withhold sex in a vindictive way. If there's health issues, that's something else. But in a vindictive way, I, I'm mad at you to know. Sexuality is seen as the mutual privilege of both the husband and the wife. This pictures both of them as mutually obligated and mutually satisfied in the sexual relationship. I ask you the question, are you aware that God is looking on in your married, on your married bed? Hebrews 13. God said the married bed of a couple is blessed of the Lord. But the bed of an adulterer and of those who are immoral. See, it could be the same physical act. We just had sex two different ways. Sex outside this boundary of married love is sin and the wicked are in that category according to God's word. He just said that. Such were some of you. You were adulterers, you were fornicators, you were homosexuals, you were effeminate, but you've been cleansed from that. Now I'm telling you, God does have an outlet for sexual desire with his blessing. It's the marriage covenant. Help yourself. Two, beware of demonic teaching that attacks the marriage institution. We shouldn't have to marry. Just live with them. Marriage is nothing but a piece of paper. And in the last days, he said, demons would come attacking the very marriage institution. Beware of that activity. And then thirdly, are you enjoying the gift of marriage and sex? Or is there some peril aspect that is cutting you off from your love of each other? Well, deal with it. Deal with it. Don't seek not to be frustrated in this area. There must be give and take. There must be patience. When children come, when pregnancies are born, when illness come, my, my, we, we, we're not just living. By the way, sex does not equal love. And who you have sex with doesn't mean uh, you're married to. No, no. Sex is an outgrowth and privilege of covenant love. I have covenant with you to love you. 
And one of the privileges that come with that is sexual expression without sin, without sin. And so now take, if there's cards in front of you, if you've got that, any question, you can either go up to our web or write this out today, and we can just leave them maybe at the information booth in the back because on this last Sunday night of the month, we'll take your questions. I'm going to screen them if they're off the wall or something that Hugh Hefner ought to answer. I'll leave it to Hugh. But if it has a biblical answer, uh, we're going to do our best to be biblically honest. Let me ask you this. Should we be talking about this? Yeah, I'm glad you feel that way, and I, I feel that in you. Uh, I, I'm talking about it because I, I don't dodge issues. I came to it in Corinthians, decided to talk on it. Uh, I don't get all whipped up to preach on this. I was a lot better on teaching on marriage and how to raise children when I was 30. Now that I'm old and mature, I'd rather preach on other things. So I have to have the text get me back to these themes because we've got a lot of young people in this church. They don't know the biblical pattern, Right? Right? Write your question, drop it off, and walk out reverently. God bless you. Go.